0: chapter 4 verse 20 through 23 entitled the sermon this morning serving the joy giving savior serving the joy giving savior look at verse 20 with me now to our god and father be the glory forever and ever amen we just sang that Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seeing it. Father, we have enjoyed immensely. Your word, particularly what you penned through the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. It has encouraged us, challenged us, exhorted us. And Lord, once again, we come to these closing words. And we ask that you would teach us, Lord. Teach us your truth. Teach us again the truth of putting Christ in the center of all things. And and may we realize the joy that is received from pursuing our Savior. So, Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen me, Lord. I cannot do this on my own. I ask you for strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, as a very young pastor, I'll never forget this this incident um, or this experience I had. um, we had been involved in the church planning world for many years already. Gina and I were young, just beginning our family. And the Lord had called me into ministry when I was a teenager. Um, but he set me on a chart. He had a lot of work to do before he would entrust me with the Bible to do this. He continues to do that, but I remember those days very vividly, There etched in my mind as God was preparing a young pastor to be able to preach his word. There was one particular incident as I was struggling with the will of God, what he had for me. And I'll never forget it because it was uh, uh, in a particularly wonderful place where the Lord spoke to me in, in my heart of my hearts. I was cowboying at that time for $60 a day. Um trying to get two nickels to rub together to take care of my family. And we were, we were working with church planners. We, were, we had a school going for troubled youth. We, we, we had just tremendous amount of ministry going, but in the middle of that, I was striving to find what God had for me. What was my role? I knew he'd called me to preach, but when and where and how are you gonna do this, Lord. And I remember very clearly, I was on the back of my horse pushing cows, staring at the south end of northbound cattle, I always say, <laughs> if you catch that. I was by myself, just my horse and my dog and pushing, pushing cattle up into the hills. And I remember crying out physically to the Lord, what's your will for me, Lord? What do you have? Where are you taking me? I need to know. And I remember crying out once and weeping in between that. Cow's looking back at me, wondering what's wrong with this guy. <laughs> and then crying out again Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you have for me? Still no answer in my heart of hearts. I had been in prayer many weeks over this. I knew the Lord had to act. He had to do something quick. We were were drowning almost. We felt like it at least as a family. Third time, I cried out to the Lord on the back of that horse. Then he answered me. And he said this in the clearest, in my heart of hearts, not out of the clouds like Moses or something. I don't think he does that anymore, but... He does speak to our heart of hearts, and you know what I'm talking about. He said, Scott, obey me, and I will give you joy. I'll never forget it. Obey me, and I will be your joy giver. And that has stuck with me for many, many years. I pushed those cows up into a high meadow and turned around and rode down the hill. And I came home and told Gina, I said, the Lord has us. And I began to look at areas in my life where I was proud and arrogant in that needed to be humbled. I was already a pastor, elder, we're serving in church uh, with church planners, But God began to break my heart of some of those areas. And he began to give me joy that I had never experienced before. A joy of knowing that God had you in his hand. Now, I didn't know what and where and when it all looked like, but he brought a peace. And as I studied the book of Philippians, I was so reminded of that time in my life. I'm reminded as I see people who submit to God and allow him to have their life, their marriage, their children, their careers, I watch that same joy flood their souls. And that's why I call Philippians a book about the joy giver. Not just a book about joy. It's a book about the joy giver. And that's what we look for when we study it because it uses terms joy and rejoice so often, but it comes when we submit to the will of Christ. And so at the end of this, there are some beautiful verses that Really bring a conclusion to the letter. And and in such a way that exhorts us to stay focused. No matter what happens in our life, he gives us the ability to stay focused and how to live as as even a church, because it's written to a church. It's written to the Church of Philippi and it's written to Grace Bible Church just as much. So let me take you through just four quick points this morning. Number one, The goal of our service is to bring God glory forever and ever. You want to have joy? Make the goal of your service to bring glory to God forever and ever. The Greek actually says this, from age to age. That's what the Greek says. We translate that forever. We we use those English words. From age to age, when you serve the Lord... Whatever role that may be, and we think first and foremost often as church members here, but but it goes beyond that. It goes as a husband serves his wife, and a wife serves her husband, and parents serve their children, and children serving their parents, and, and men and women serving their employers, and all of that, it goes far beyond just these walls. When it is our attitude to do things for the glory of God, you will receive joy. If you have alternative motives, if you're trying to twist the arm of God, well, God, I'll do this if you do that. You won't have any joy because you won't be sure that you're in the center of God's will. Obedience always brings you to the center of God's will, and it brings joy. It's the first mark of obedience is joy. And so the goal of our service is to bring, glory, bring God glory forever and ever. A lasting joy. Notice in the verse it says the word glory. Now to our God and Father be glory. It's a beautiful word. It's a, most people who like the original languages love this word. It's a doxa. We get the word doxology from it. Remember some of you younger in the faith don't remember doxology. Some of us as grew up in church, we sang the doxology. It was a beautiful song that was just fully directing our attention towards the glory of God. And, and the word "doxology" has uh, two words that are in there, really uh, the idea of doxa, uh, glory and ology, study," or words that express. And so, what I believe Paul is saying here is, he's saying now to God and Father and, and our Father, be our, our ascribing uh, outburst of praise to God forever and ever. That's the, the goal. That's the goal of what we're heading for. That's what we're going to spend eternity doing. That, that's the out the outcome of a life surrendered to God is an expression an uh, ascribing an outburst of glory to God. Paul amazingly at the end of the book says this is is what I want to say now to our God and Father be our expression our outburst of praise not only today but forever and ever. This is this is retreat through the scriptures. You find this over and over. Let me just quickly read some, for lack of time, just listen as we, I read you some of these. Psalms are just full of these. I just picked one, but Psalms 29, a psalm of David, he said, ascribe to the Lord the sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. That's his person, his character. Worship the Lord in holy array. We come to him in his own righteousness given to us. David is saying. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory glory of God is thunder. The Lord is over the many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks pieces, the cedars of Lebanon, and he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Siron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips forest bare in his temple. And in his temple, everything says glory. Isn't that amazing? The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will ascribe to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Listen to just some of the New Testament expressions of some of the writers. Jude wrote this at the last few verses. Jude 24 and 25 said this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Oh, those are sweet words. He can make you stand blameless with great joy. To, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever, Jude writes. Paul wrote to the f- church in Ephesus, chapter three, verse 20, said this, now to him who is able to do more exceedingly above, beyond, above and beyond all that you ask and think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul told young Pastor Timothy this in 1 Timothy 1, 17. He said, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. In his final thoughts, in the final chapter that he writes to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 18. In 2 Timothy, he writes, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. See, these are ascriptions. They're outbursts of praise to the Apostle Paul. When's the last time you just let it go? And, And most of the time for me, it happens in a car or in my morning time with the Lord or a walk where it's just pure worship that comes out of you and you ascribe to the Lord what to do with him. It isn't something that's goofy. It's just being able to let it out of you every once in a while and say, you're worthy of my worship, God. I want to express that. Let me show you two passages I do want to take you to. Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, right at the end of this very powerful text of God rescuing Gentiles and making them part of his entire plan to rescue all of his people and bring them into one people for the ages and ages to come. And at the end of these expressions of very deep thoughts, if you've studied Romans 9, 10, and 11, you realize they're extremely deep thoughts of sovereignty He finally gets to the end of it. Notice verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. You can't get to the bottom of God. You can get to the bottom of me every day. (laughs) It's not that deep. But you can't get to the end of God. God. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Who, who comes along and says, Oh, God, this is what you're going to do now? We do that, though, will <laughs> not we? But, but who can really do that? Verse 35, or Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Oh, people do this. God, come on, I did this for you. Oh, God. You can't do that. You can't do that to God. He, he owes no one, no, nothing. But yet, as Ron said today, he died while we were yet sinners. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Verse 36, look how he ends this. Very similar. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen this is the voice of the church this is the voice of grace bible church to him be glory forever look at chapter 16 just briefly i was studying the end of a book and i started looking at the lost ends of a lot of books (laughs) and And you begin to realize this is the result of all that is written in each book is God magnified and glorified. Look what he says at the end of Romans 16, the last chapter, written to the church in Rome and to us. He says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret from long ages past, but now has been revealed, manifested, made plain, and by the scriptures of the prophet, prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Wow. That is what we do. That is the purpose of Grace Bible Church. That is the purpose of the church of Philippi. Oh, brothers and sisters, the goal of our service needs to be the glory of the Lord. Do not serve in any other capacity if it's not for the glory of the Lord. And you'll have to ask them to help you do that. Because you'll get a phone call from one of the deacons and they'll say, hey, can you do this? And, and, and you know, you don't want to turn down Lloyd. He's old and has a cane. <laughs> Sorry, brother. I love you. Where are you? There he is. Got a new hip, too. Um, And you go, oh man, Lloyd called me. And I gotta go. Say, hey, Lord, my heart wants to whine. But you, you make me go serve this family that's in need. Because when you help me glorify you in it. I promise your attitude will change. Look, pastors have to do that all the time. Phone call. You again, huh? Lord. Help me glorify you, right? See, we want this outburst of praise now because that's what we're gonna do for eternity. Look at the second thought here in your notes. We strive together in order to bring Christ the most glory. We strive together to bring Christ the most glory. Look at verse 21 in your text. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. So our goal is to strive together to bring him the most glory. And there's two little phrases here I just want to pick on real quickly here. First is saints in Christ. And then the second one is the brethren with me. In Christ we have been made complete. Our lives are hidden in him, the Bible tells us. You cannot be any more complete than when your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You cannot be more eternally equipped and and perfect in front of God. In Christ means you are not in the world anymore. You no longer belong to Satan. You no longer will stand in condemnation and judgment for your sins. You are kept in the grace of God in his son, protected for all of eternity, reserved for his glory. It is the most inclusive statement throughout the New Testament that teaches you over and over of your special love that God has for you. He has put you in his son and you can never, ever be plucked from that. And Jesus reminds us who could pluck you from my father's hand. And and the father says, I put you in my son. And the spirit envelops you. It's a whole triune God teaching us through this statement. See, he starts out and he says, look, the saints in Christ. This word saints is an amazing word. We know it's been beat up in our a religious culture today, isn't it? We were trying to sell a house one time, and a dear sweet Catholic lady came up to us and said, "Well, you just need to get a saint and a statue and bury it in your backyard and your house will sell." I'm pick my wife and bury her because she's a saint, or you know who is? I mean, we we've lost the understanding of a saint, right? The Bible teaches what a saint is. It's the person in Christ. You are a saint. And you don't look in the mirror and see some little glowing thing. <laughs> right? But God loves you and you're his saints. That means holy ones. The word comes from hagios, the where we get be holy or sanctified. It's the same word and and it but it has an idea of holy ones this word saint. And so we don't enter into some sainthood after time. You are in sainthood the moment of belief. Now be careful walking around town handing out business cards and saying, say, you know, whatever. (laughs) The world may not get that. Look, brothers and sisters, God sees you as holy ones because of Jesus. You're holy. And he says, look, every saint, every holy one from here greets you. And, And it's saints talking to saints back and forth. And so I want you to catch that. The Old Testament, one more thought on this. The Old Testament says this over and over. It says, adorn yourself with holy attire. We hear that all the time throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament says that our holy attire is the righteousness of Christ. Christ. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you're going through your reading, you're trying to figure out all this is, and, and, and the Bible says to adorn yourself with holy attire. Let the New Testament be your commentary of that, and that's God telling you you're dressed in Christ's robes, and so you're perfectly righteous as you stand before Him. And isn't that what Second Corinthians 5.21 says? He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may gain his own righteousness, may have his righteousness. He took our sins, this is imputation, the doctrine of imputation, our sins imputed on Christ and his righteousness imputed on us and we're dressed in holy attire. That's all I want you to dress when you come to church, dress in your holy attire in Christ. Might pick out some clothes while you do that, but but (laughs) dress yourself in Christ every day. One more phrase here, it says, the brethren with me, your Bible may say, or who are with me. I think that's a fascinating phrase, and I locked on on this all week thinking of Grace Bible Church. Paul again and again proves that his ministry is a shared ministry. Here is one of the only few books that he doesn't, I think he just ran out of time, doesn't list brothers and sisters by the Hordes of them at the end of his book Thanking this person and that person And this person's with me and that person says hi And this, and he goes through all that So here he just sums it all and he says The brethren who are with me Brethren, plural, verse 22 All the saints, plural, greet you Paul always had men and women Surrounding him in ministry They were part of it And I want to encourage you this morning That your pastor is extremely encouraged by the shared ministry at Grace Bible Church. I started to write down a few things that made me realize, and um, I won't make you stand, but I want you to stand in your mind if this, if this is about you. And I, and I think, unless you're just brand new here today and the first time, um, I imagine everybody in this building can stand up. But just listen to, to how the ministry is shared at Grace just these are just thoughts that are not in any orders of importance. I'm just typing as my mind was thinking of things. So just listen. Have you ever taken a meal to someone in the church? You've shared the ministry. Have you ever handed out a bulletin and welcomed people who walked into this building? The ministry is shared. Have you cleaned the church? So that when we come, it's bathrooms are clean and sanitary, and our little children don't get sick. And, have you done that? You've shared in the ministry. Have you served with someone's child and and served a child of somebody in the church or a newcomer in children's ministry? Are you a community leader? Are you an intern that serves alongside a leader? Have you hosted a community group in any or any other church event in your home? See, hands would be going up, people would be standing, half the church is standing now. Have you have you taught a Bible study? Have you worked at VBS? Have you crossed children here on a busy street to make sure they could get back and thinking in yourself, boy, I really don't have an important job. Oh my goodness. How blessed we are to have men who come and walk our children across the street. This is serving. This is sharing the ministry. Have you helped counsel another soul to Christ? Someone who was struggling, someone who was who going through a difficult time and you've sat with them and you've spent time and you've pointed them to the to the Lord Jesus Christ through the all-sufficient scriptures? Have you helped organize an event that allowed the gospel to be preached? Have you organized an event? Have you been involved with that uh, for the church or a women's retreat or VBSs or men's retreats or a a plethora of things that goes on around here? Have you helped do that in order for the gospel to be preached? Have you ministered to the weak, the faint-hearted, the downtrodden, a couple of weeks ago, I was gone, and they said that Levi, the main, he wanted to make a comment, right? And, and you know, sometimes when people want to make comments from the crowd, we get a little nervous, we're not quite sure what's going to come out of them. <laughs> but whoever was up here allowed it to happen, and he just wanted to praise the Lord because he needed a cane, or he needed a walker, and, and somebody met his need. Uh, a homeless man that we minister to. Man that does your pastor's heart good when you hear that stuff. Have you served communion to the brethren? I know that seems like a simple thing for some of you men, but communion is powerful this church. It's our constant, pure form of worship in front of us that reminds us of what our Savior has done. Have you, have you been a greeter, one who just comes early in the morning and opens doors and sweeps porches off and makes people feel welcome when they come? Have you been involved in worship in any way? Singing, playing a guitar, uh, leading, uh, just singing from the top of your voice where you're at to to help our worship leaders um, as they appreciate when you sing back with them. Is that not service to the Lord, Ron? I mean, when we have our people sing and they and it's amazing. Have you prayed fervently for G for for grace? Have you prayed for the church? See, I can go on and on, and my time is getting away, but the point is, if, if you belong to grace, you're made up of the saints who serve the Savior together. It's not a one-band man show here. It never has been, and it never will be, I trust. So we say this, this is not Scott's church, this is not the elders' church, this is not the congregation's church, it is Christ's church. Belongs to him, he is the head. And he has graciously makes us a part of this living, breathing organism called his bride. And when you think about this church, think about it dressed in white. There was a wedding yesterday. And that bride came down and she was dressed in white and beautiful. Weddings teach us of what the church looks like. That's us. And we didn't dress ourselves. The king of kings dressed us. And we're adorned with his glory. And so when I look at this verse, and maybe you read these verses beforehand, and you go, what is he gonna get out of these? (laughs) Oh, I could go on forever of our role as a group of people who together collaborate on the praise and worship of God through serving him. Third thought. Christ builds his church differently Than we would. Don't miss the opportunity to be involved. Christ builds his church differently than we would. Don't miss the opportunity to be involved. Notice in verse 22 all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What in the world does that mean? And who's Caesar's household? What's going on there? Paul is writing from where this epistle? Jail, prison, house arrest, he's chained to guards. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? Guess what you're gonna hear when he if he's not sleeping? And if he speaks in his sleep, you may still hear it. You're gonna hear Christ. You're gonna hear about the bride of Christ. Because Paul loved the church which met in Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica and so on. He loved the church. And so you're going to hear that over and over. And so soldiers are getting saved. Mean, cold, heartless men trained to not have emotions, but to do a job no matter what it hurts, they're getting saved. And it's going beyond that. Paul still stands before, is it Festus or one of them? And, and, he, and I can't remember, my mind just went blank. But at the end of Acts, he says, Paul, I've got to stop you because if you keep going, I may get converted. Because he just shared his testimony in court. And you go, wait a minute. We don't want those guys in our church. They're mean. They kill Christians. And They did. And boy, what was coming uh, not too long after the writing of this letter was death to Christians. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Very same era time here. Um, uh, Probably just a little bit behind the letter to Ephesus and Philippi. Uh, Now Timothy's there, sent there. He's pastoring. And, and and Paul writes this to them. Verse four, First Timothy chapter two, verse four is probably the most misquoted verse in all of Scripture, I think, when people try to manipulate God and, and how he saves people, but there's a context and it fits what we're talking about here, and it's very important to understand it. He says, first of all, verse one, very this is very important when he says, first of all, he's it's you know, his pastor giving us points here. Usually everybody's awake for the first one. First of all. Then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. That, that is, he's, he's saying, look, you guys have been praying for people you like. You haven't been praying for people you don't like. Look what he does in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. Oh, Paul, we got to pray for Obama. You know, we got to pray for senators that we don't like. I mean, that's what is happening. You can see where Christians can get real narrow in our prayer life. And Paul's going, hey, I want you to pray for all men. That's the whole idea of verse 4, that he's bringing all men, all walks of life, rich people, poor people, all of races, all of economic status. He's bringing all different people to him. Is this not a verse of universalism that everybody gets saved? He's bringing all walks of life to him. And then he says this, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men, even the kings, even those who persecute the church. I'm bringing those to a true knowledge of me. You pray for them. And the reason I wrote my point here is because I got thinking that Lord, we have an idea of what we'd like our church to look like some days. Never do that. Let God save and pray that he saves people from every walk of life. Often it's fun to think about you guys because I get to teach to you on Sunday mornings and then you flood out into the world. And I think, wow, look at all these different industries and homes and neighborhoods that all these people are going into to reach all peoples. To go preach the next morning, it's your turn to preach by your lives. And I I think about that and I find so much encouragement in that. And God does this all the way through, He keeps bringing people that they don't expect. Remember in Luke chapter 7, he, he talks about the Roman centurion. And after he talks about his faith, he says, Surely there are no one in Israel that has faith like this man. A Gentile. No wonder the religious leaders got so mad at him. He, he draws people to himself. Peter is sent to the house of Cornelius. We just studied that in one of the home groups this week. And, and, and Peter says, he gets a vision of... Eating all things, he's going, look, I'm not that guy. I'm clean. I I do all this, 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 and this. And Jesus says, I made it all clean. You eat it. And now I'm going to show you I want to go save a Gentile right in front of your eyes. And I'm sending you there. And he does it. Peter would have never thought that that's what he was doing at that point. God had to teach him that. Think about other ones, demonic men. I always love the story of the demonic man in the gardenes. As Christ and the disciples sail across there there isn't no big teaching and floods of people or anything. he's going across to show them one guy that he's going to save, and he's full of demons called the legion he's living in tombs he's so strong they can't hold him with chains and he never deals with the, with the the large crowds there. they just come out and tell him to leave because they drug the, the demons one of the the pigs and the pigs drowned. They just want him gone. But the story ends with him and his, the man who is demon-possessed in his right mind and pleading with Jesus that he may follow him. We don't think that way when we build the church. Great, we got that guy in here. <laughs> think about it. Over and over, we see this. Church of Philippi, it starts with a gal who sells purple down by the river. Then it moves to a jailer who starts the night out hating these men because he's taught that way and finishes the night born again. Listen, God, Christ, builds his church and he builds it his way. I want to point out something that's going to come happen here shortly is a dear brother who's come to know the Lord, his his sister-in-law is in this church. And by her wisdom that God worked through her arranged an appointment for me and this gentleman to meet just before he went off to prison. And I shared Christ with him and he went to prison he didn't accept him. But in prison God has saved this man. And I am in constant communication with him as well as other Christians. And he's coming out. And guess where he's coming? To Grace Bible Church. Are you ready for him? Are you going to love him and accept him and forgive him as Christ forgave him? See, God is going to continue to build his church and you and I need to know that. And we're preparing for him, we're preparing men to counsel him and care for him. I wrote him this week and told him of the men that were ready for him. I'm gonna love him and help him grow in Christ. We need to find him a job and find him a place to live. He's gonna be ostracized in some ways, but not here. Not here. Because Christ builds his church and he fills it full of people that you would have never guessed. I think we're gonna to get to heaven and someone's gonna to go to me, they're gonna go, How'd you get in? I went to high school with you. Right? I hope you didn't say, well, look at me. You're a rotten, filthy sinner if it wasn't for Jesus. You're a rank pagan if it wasn't for Jesus. You gotta get that through your head. We don't deserve his grace, but he freely gives it to you. Last thought, and I'm totally out of time. For may the grace, may Grace Bible Church always be full of grace. May Grace Bible Church always be full of grace. Paul starts his letter with grace. He said in Philippians 1, 2, he said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. What every believer needs is grace still beyond salvation. We need it beyond salvation. I want you to know this. And you and I have to pray for grace every day. Paul said this in Romans 5:1. He said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this, through whom also we have attained our introduction by grace into by faith into this grace in which we stand present tense. We stand today and tomorrow and the next day in grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to realize that we need grace. I wrote this in my notes. I'll read it verbatim. May Grace Bible Church always be known for its graciousness to all who come into fellowship with us. And shame on us if we are not gracious. Those who have experienced the grace of God. Be gracious. Open your arms to those who come in. Last verse, I think was a key verse to help us understand this. This is Philippians 1.21. For to me, for to me to live is Christ and to die in his gain die to self put Christ on his throne in your heart and we will have great joy as a church Father our emotions or at least mine at this time are running high because of what you've done here We've watched you reform and transform Grace Bible Church. We were self-centered. We were organiz- organization-driven. But we weren't Christ-centered, Lord, and you did that. You, you broke our hearts and you disciplined us and you, you chastised us with your loving hands and you have brought us to a place where we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is poised, Lord, now to receive those that you have for it, to care, to love, to point towards Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each one of us for the task that you have. That you wrap your arms around this church for your glory, Lord. And may we feel them day in, day out, Lord. Lord, give us strength now as we finish this service off. In Jesus' name, amen.